You're listening to The Raw Podcast, where we make sense of the madness and mayhem that is the world of sports. I'm Reardon Lee. I'm Ryman White. And I'm Daniel Jeffrey. Today, we're going to be talking about the brave new world of women's sports. So to help us dive into today's topic, we're going to be joined by one of the most exciting new voices in Australian sports media, Mary Kay, who we'll bring on in just a few minutes. Now... I think it's obvious why we've chosen to discuss women's sport. Female athletes are more and more forcing their way into the sporting spotlight in Australia. We've seen the launch of new competitions, uh, increases in player payments and primetime broadcasts that have attracted serious crowds and viewership. But as we'll be discussing, the work is far from done. Um, But we'll get to that shortly. Firstly, let's set the scene. Now, For as long as sport has been around, women have been participating, but recognition simply hasn't followed. To understand where we're coming from, I thought it would be interesting to look back to 1894, to the founding of the IOC and a quote from the man credited as the father of the modern Olympics, a pretty significant sporting organisation. He described women's sport as the most unesthetic sight human eyes could possibly contemplate. An absolutely ridiculous statement, we can all agree, but what isn't ridiculous is to consider that the roots of this mindset are still being weeded out today, more than a hundred years on. So bringing it a little bit closer to modern day and researching this topic is eye-opening because you don't need to go very far to dig up snippets that, despite the current energy behind women's sport, show the poor position it's still lifting itself up from. Less than 20 years ago, the Matildas released a nude calendar to raise funds for players. In 2012, just five years ago, a horse was named Sportswoman of the Year ahead of the gold medal winning Sally Pearson, which is just incredibly (laughs) offensive. Looking overseas, currently in the rankings of the 100 highest paid athletes, there is just one woman. Any guesses? Serena? Serena. Serena. It took until 2012 um, at the London Olympic Games to have at least one female athlete in every country's delegation. And then there's the pay disparity where the examples are really just endless. Um, To pick one, the highest paid player in the WNBA makes roughly one-fifth of that of the lowest paid player in the NBA. So for all of the positives we've seen in the second half of this decade... It is clear that there is a long way to go, but male dominance is going to continue, as will the debates around economic viability and the ongoing chicken and egg scenario media outlets struggle with. Yeah, so media coverage has a massive impact on the success of any sport, and women's sports are obviously no different to that. Coverage has never been brilliant of women's sports, I think it's fair to say that, but there are signs it could actually be getting worse. In 2009, the Australian Sports Commission released a report called Towards a Level Playing Field, Sport and Gender in Australian Media, and that found that women in sport accounted for less than 10% of all sports coverage across the country. To make matters worse, a follow-up from this report in 2015 found that figure had declined to 7%. But things seem to have improved in 2017. Every AFLW game was shown on TV, as was the women's ashes, with the exception of the test which was shown via a free live stream online. Dr. Kate Greenwood, who co-authored Towards a Level Playing Field, said the following of AFLW media coverage after the competition's inaugural round. 
it was almost inconceivable getting broadcasters to take the risk to show the sport and then of course engaging all the fans and supporters as well. This is really the dream scenario, was what she said. Now that said, we still have a way to go. So what I want to know is who this falls on. Who does the onus fall on? Is it purely up to publications and TV stations to publish more content on women's sports? Or does it fall on the sports themselves to better promote their women's code? And of course, who better to have this conversation with than raw expert Mary Constantopoulos? Mary, what are your thoughts on this one? Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I think my thoughts on this is that it's absolutely everybody's responsibility. It's incumbent on broadcasters to take women's sports seriously. And we've seen in the past year that people are very interested in watching when they're given the opportunity to. It's important that our major newspapers and our major online publications publish stories about women in sport. But I think I'm also testament to the fact that it's also incumbent on just normal day-to-day people. With the rise of social media, really everyone can be a journalist and an advocate. So if you're not seeing enough stories about women in sport out there, rather than writing that article about how there's not enough coverage, might I encourage you to write something of your own? On that, Mary, you've obviously done the Ladies Who League podcast and a whole bunch of other ones which you've built from the ground up as sort of just a, a regular citizen joining the conversation. How difficult was that for you to sort of get traction with that? Was it hard? Was it easier than you thought? How did that all go? I actually think it was a lot easier than what I thought it would be. It took a lot of work in that I had to write quite a bit and I'm always on my social media. But there's a real appetite out there, particularly on social media, for coverage of women in sport. So it's really been embraced. But as Daniel said in his little intro, it was interesting about the type of coverage of women in sport. And this is where I think the lack of coverage actually impacts the quality of the coverage. So when I write about women in sport, I tend to write about it very positively because it's about getting the message out there and making sure that people are aware about what women are doing in sport. People need to be more critical, I think, of women in sport, but I don't think we're at that point yet because so many people are just wanting to get the message out there. That's a pretty hard point to argue with. Rai, if we just go back to the, the point about who the onus falls on, do you, do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it is the sports editors across Australia that... Um, need to play a really important role. Um, but for me, the it comes back to the issue of who's going to really take the lead. In a commercial media environment, it's always going to be about the number of viewers, um, the number of clicks, and the budgets are generally quite tight. We've seen the way that journalist numbers are going at the moment. So in my mind, I think it does need to fall more upon the sporting bodies than potentially the ABC. Again, budget probably an issue there at the moment. But thirdly, I think the idea that maybe the government even should should step in behind the ABC. I was discussing earlier the idea of, of government grants. Um, we've, we've seen them raised recently for journalists just to get um, more journos into uh, into newsrooms, um, governments providing subsidies there. So I see that as a good opportunity for what potentially wouldn't be a large investment, but getting journos into organisations to promote the women's game, and that could provide 
relief for media outlets, um, promotion for the games, um, increase attendance and participation. And you could go as far as to say, as to argue that it would filter down to the grassroots level, which would create more lifelong players, more lifelong fans of the women's game. Absolutely. I think as well that the regular sports punter, I guess, like people that read the Raw, people that write for the Raw, us as well, really have to take that responsibility on ourselves to also go out and seek out the the media and the coverage and really take that responsibility on yourself as well to consume and to engage with women's sports content. I think that's really important and something that's not always easy to do if it doesn't always pop up in your news feed. But I think there is that expectation or that there should be an expectation on the fans as well. If you want to see something grow, you've really got to invest in it. You've got to, you know, go on the website, spend time, comment, those sorts of things I think are are really important as well. I wanted to ask you quickly, Mary, about if you've noticed anything in the like differing styles of consumption between whether it is males and females or fans of male sport and fans of female sport. Uh, I, I was reading a, a study which um, which noted that female fans were less likely to consume media around their chosen sport, mm. whatever it be. Um, is that something that you can sort of speak to at all it's interesting when i look at my own social media platforms they're actually very evenly split so it tends to be almost a 50 50 split in terms of male and females consuming my content whether that be on twitter on facebook or on instagram because the media seems to publish a lot about men's sport maybe that impacts women's ability to sort of go on and go on to these publications because they don't feel like it's a space for them or they feel like the coverage is perhaps too high level as well. When people have listened to the Ladies Who League podcast, I've had several women come to me and say, one of my favourite things about the show is that it's very accessible. I'm not a big rugby league fan, but I was able to tune in and learn something. So perhaps to engage more women in sport, we need to make sure that our coverage not only covers those athletes and the sports at the high level but gives them more basic understanding so that women can feel included if they're new to sport how do you guys feel in general about the way women's sports is being covered currently in the media do we think are we on the right track is it skewing one way too much skewing one way the other any thoughts on that I think, look, I think it can certainly be better. I've got a friend of mine that tracks the Daily Telegraph looking at the back page. Elise Perry should have been on the back page of every single newspaper after she made her double century. But I I didn't see that. I mean, Elise Perry was the standout sports person this weekend. She should have been on the back page of the paper. And it's still not good enough that I need to leave through several pages of the Daily Telegraph to get to a story on women's sport and that when I get to that story, it's absolutely tiny. But there are plenty of independent media organisations now that are stomping their feet and getting that content out there. So, Ridden, you made the point earlier that as sports fans, we need to seek it out. And that's absolutely the case. There is coverage of women in sport if you want to go looking for it. So on that, Mary, like ideal scenario, what, what does coverage of women in sport and women's sport look like to you what are the kind of main traits you'd you'd love to see you know become mainstream in the next year five years decade whatever the biggest thing that i would like to see is women's sport be critiqued and analyzed in the same way that men's sport is i think that would be my idea of nirvana because as i said earlier 
at the moment, women in sport coverage tends to be very report style, like this is what happened in this game or meet this athlete or isn't this an incredible story, which is all very important because people like to feel like the athletes are human. But I don't see a lot of that critical analysis because we haven't yet gotten to the point where there's enough coverage that you can be critical without acting in a way that's detrimental to the sport. I think that's my big one. Yeah, I to me that that seems to be the thing that really jumps out as what what is kind of missing in the in the coverage of women's sport when you compare it to men's sport if you ever tend to have critical articles of the AFLW or the WBBL it tends to be more critical of the competition or the sport as a whole it'll be AFLW is you know isn't as good to watch as AFL and or the WBBL is boring and that that's just harmful in an ideal world what we'd like to see is that critical analysis that, you know, take the women's ashes, for example. While it's great to have all these positive stories around that, it, it's, it would be even better to see articles along the lines of why the hell was Ash Gardner dropped? You know, why are we playing on this kind of dead, lifeless pitch, which led to a, a pretty dour draw? And I think, you know, if we extend that approach across all sports, it, it will really improve the visibility of women's sport across Australia and the rest of the world. Yeah, just And Daniel, I agree with that so much, but yet when you said oh Ash Gardner shouldn't have been dropped, I got a little um like my tummy did a bit of a flip because I'm still I'm as an advocate of women in sport, I'm not even at the point yet where I'm ready to start writing those articles because I don't even feel like the baseline is there that we've got enough coverage of you know the actual game out there to be able to having to be able to have that analysis but i think it's really important that's where i'd like it to get to yeah and i'm not saying that's what we should have tomorrow because as you say if, if we start to have this kind of almost negativity and certainly criticism creep into women's sports coverage you know it, it's not necessarily always the nicest uh nicest environment to create it's a good sign, though, um, reaching that point where the negativity comes out because you know you've really grasped people's passion and pain points um, if they feel the need to sort of get up and yell and get angry. Absolutely. And, and I think there was a really good sign, good in inverted commas, along these lines earlier in the year when Sam Kerr was left off the shortlist for FIFA Women's Player of the Year. And people were suddenly all up in arms and, you know, just being like, why the hell wasn't she included on this shortlist? She's clearly one of the best three players in the world. And I think that was a kind of sign that um, women's football in Australia is really starting to take off, that you had all these fans getting up in arms together. But yes, as, as you say, Mary, we certainly need to get, you know, there's a long way to go before that kind of coverage is healthy for the sports. Yeah, Jeff, is the problem that comes from that, from having only positive coverage all the time, is that when things aren't going well and there aren't positive things to comment on and to write about, then coverage tends to die off, which is, you know, a bit like what we've seen in, in quite a few sports, the rugby sevens uh, for women's. Do you find that, Mary, covering so much women's sport as you do, that it, it can be difficult sometimes to come up with stories when there aren't teams that are dominating? 
I tend to find that there is always something to write about in women's sport. And I think rugby is a really good example because rugby sevens, that team was very much the golden girls of, of last year. And we haven't really seen very much of them this year. But we also haven't seen very much of the Wallaroos with the 15 side. And I think that gives you an opportunity to be critical. That That's actually a team that I've been quite critical of and the way that rugby has looked after that team compared to the sevens. Um, and I think particularly as a person that writes independently, it's even more incumbent on me to continue to write about teams even when they're not winning so that that coverage is out there. So for our final section today, we want to have a look at what needs to be done to make sure women's sports continues to grow because I guess at the moment it simply can't afford to stagnate or plateau. It really has to keep growing in order to survive. Women's sports has a lot of things going for it. It's got a massive pool of potential untapped players and fans. Um, from a grassroots perspective, this is enormous. But also from a commercial, a commercial sorry, and professional standpoint, this really does present an enormous opportunity to open up entirely new markets, which is pretty rare these days because all the markets are getting increasingly saturated wherever you look. But a lot of things have to go right for these sort of things to take place. The talent pool has to keep developing. The product, which I hate myself for calling it that, uh, has to improve and become more compelling uh, where they can really create a loyal, large, passionate and self-sufficient fan base. Uh, And this is really easier said than done. So before we sort of dive into this and look at what we can do in Australia to to make sure women's sports keeps growing, I just want to have a look at a, a quick case study of arguably, maybe not even arguably, the most successful professional sport in the world in terms of women, uh, which is tennis. Because tennis has gone, interestingly, with sort of a, a top-down and build-it-and-they-will-come model, which maybe not entirely by their design, but that's what happened. It started to quickly go back in the day with Billie Jean King and the WTA Virginia Slims tournament where they boycotted the main league, broke away, and then eventually came back demanding that they have equal prize money and a fairer split of sponsorship money, and they got it. And having this huge um, influx of money at the professional level made it a much more lucrative and successful competition and made it a lot more desirable and it became a a viable professional pathway for a lot of female athletes to sort of reinforce how successful they've been. Only two women on the Forbes 100 highest paid athletes a couple years back were women, which were Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams, which is both really remarkable and also deeply harrowing. They've also got a half a billion dollar TV deal and it's not uncommon for them to outperform the men in TV ratings. In 2014, the US Open women's final had double the ratings of the men's, which is quite remarkable. So I guess to sort of look at the Australian context, is this the sort of model that could work in Australia where we, you know, pump a lot of money into the professional leagues and basically go with a, a, a trickle-down approach and, and, and hope that this leads to greater participation and, and more investment in grassroots? Rita, when you were talking, I sort of got cranky because I was thinking about what we can do to continue to make sure that women continue to play sport and women are given the opportunity to play professionally. I think a really key part of it is the pay element of it. And I've heard a lot of people be very critical of, for example, the quality of the AFLW compared to the men's. What people really need to understand is that for so many of these women, not only are they training, they juggle jobs, they juggle family, and they juggle often university commitments as well. They are not professional athletes, so we simply cannot expect the quality to be as good when they're not professional like the men are. 
And one of the exciting things as well with AFLW is that, um, you know, a lot of them haven't been playing their whole lives. A lot of them just taking the sport up. But really soon we're going to have the first generation of women who have played Auskick from when the time they were a kid all the way up to when they're adults. And hopefully we can start to see that development of the talent pool really accelerate quite soon. Yeah, the... Absolutely. And I think, sorry guys, absolutely. And I think that's when we need to judge the competition. Elise Perry is another amazing example. She scored 213 not out on the weekend. She has only played seven test matches and the last time she played a test was two years ago. Can you imagine what she could do if she had the opportunity to regularly play test matches? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. And, you know, if you look at the women's ashes, there was criticism of of the pace of play and some commentators were saying there was a lack of intent from both sides and the the point you make mary is absolutely spot on it's like do we really expect this to be test cricket of the absolute highest order when the last test was two years ago i mean i have no doubt whatsoever if we said to the australian women's test team you're going to play as many tests as the men do every year you know is there any doubt that that the quality would then be as good as anything else in the world. I don't think so. I'm a bit torn though because I'm worried about rushing too much in too quickly with the professional leagues and you know developing, uh, for example, say the AFL women's into a, a fully year-long season before we've got that talent pool to back mm-hmm. it up and to have a quality product. We're going to really need to ensure that yeah we do have the the talent pool there that they can actually have you know 16, 18, 20 games of great football before we can invest into it because if if it's bad the first few years if it's not good enough there might not be another second bite of the cherry which which worries me i mean the problem here is that you know how do how do you get that first class product if you know there isn't the the financial incentive for the mm. female athletes to be playing and practicing all year long and developing their games i mean it's the classic chicken and egg argument personally i'm of the view that if they build it people will come and see it. It's a risk, but it might be the only option we have. I think it's one worth taking. I think uh, it was really, it really stood out for me uh, in the AFLW, one player in particular, um, Aaron Phillips, as just a shining light to the quality that will be able to be achieved and that the audience will absolutely come when the standard is is raised to to the level that you can see is achieved by somebody being able to go through a system where they train are professional uh, and reach the peak limit of of their abilities i think that's just um, that's a really exciting idea yeah there was no doubt that philip's background of being in the wnba gave her a massive advantage on the rest of the competition and so that's why i do say you know if we provide the financial backing for aflw players to practice and train all year long it will become an excellent excellent competition the one i don't want to bring us down to earth too much um because you know there is a lot of sort of hope for the future of, of these competitions where where the pay is equal and, and the quality is um, is at a peak. But the reality at the moment sort of seems to be that 
for anybody who's who's, who's currently playing in the AFLW, who's currently in the, the BBL, they're going to end their careers with without the the dollars that will come in the in the, the decades that we'll see following them breaking ground, being the trailblazers in this area. Um, so I'd be interested, Mary, in your thoughts on potentially the mentality of, of some of the women that, that you would have spoken to um, who are currently playing and their opinion on being a trailblazer and, and understanding that they're not going to reap the rewards of their work and whether that, you know, whether they see that entirely as a positive thing or whether it frustrates them them slightly? Well, I mean, it's a really good question. I think, let's be real, I'm sure there would be a small element of frustration but overall, I think for them, being role models and trailblazing is something that is really important to them. So I'll use the Jillaroos as a good case study. Last year, coach Brad Donald got all the Jillaroos together and sat them down in a room and asked them what their goals were for the year ahead. And the Jillaroos said, first of all, to win the Rugby League World Cup, which is unsurprising. But then the other thing that they said was that they wanted to inspire young girls to play rugby league. They are willing to be the trailblazers and to show little girls that they can play rugby league. That is absolutely crucial, having that mentality, I think. And and it speaks to one of the fantastic points of difference that, that women's sport does have in the fact that it currently is, players are currently a lot more accessible and you seem to be able to create a bit more of a, a unique social event around um, around the games. I think attendance is is obviously hugely important, but that's something that the men's game is being seen to lack recently, as the egos inflate and the salaries inflate, and the players sort of lose a sense of of the responsibility that that these women clearly have, which can only be crucial for enhancing grassroots sport potentially not just for young girls yeah i mean and that's something that is reflected in the spectatorship of women's sport going to the women's ashes test earlier this year the crowd there i've i haven't been to as many to many cricket crowds um or cricket events in australia where the crowd has felt so kind of together and welcoming i mean it, it it's kind of a, a sad trait of australian cricket crowds that there, there tends to be a bit of nastiness about it i mean i always remember going to an australia versus india one day match this would have been 15 years ago and some of the some of the things that uh, the australian fans were spitting out towards indian fans and indian players was absolutely vile jeffers wasn't oh. the environment at the women's ashes just beautiful oh. honestly like you could walk around the whole field families were there kids were running around playing cricket at no point did i hear anything abusive or awful yelled out um everyone was in great spirits and i never feared for my safety not that i feared for my safety at sport but there was no element of threatening behavior or intimidating behavior it was just good vibes this is yeah this is exactly the point it was a bloody enjoyable place to be it's like what sport should be. I know. Imagine that. <laughs> it's actually, and I hope it never loses it. I hope women's sport never, ever loses that. Because absolutely. Because that is the most beautiful part. Our athletes are human and they want to talk to you and they want to tell you about why they're playing the sport they play and it's because they love it. And the crowds that go genuinely love it and want it to succeed. And I really hope that women's sport holds on to that always. Well, that sounds like actually a perfect note to wrap things up on. Mary, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. 
Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with the three of you. Love your insights. You always got so many interesting things to say. We really appreciate it. And if you want to check out more of Mary's work, you can listen to the Ladies Who League podcast, which is great stuff, as well as checking out her articles on the raw.com.au. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'd love if you could head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating if you love the podcast. Um, we'd really like to keep this thing going. And the ratings really, really do help, so that would be really appreciated. See you next time.